Hey everybody out there in the podcast world, this is Chad Belding with another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. I'm still in the great state of Arkansas. This time I'm coming at you from the northeast part of the state around Jonesboro, Walnut Ridge, Searcy, Augusta. I'm with my good buddy from Bosch Drives. He's originally from Louisiana where the company and the brand Bosch Drives is located, but now he has uh, made his way with his family, his wonderful wife, Ashley, and their two girls and little boy. They've made their way up to Arkansas. They live around Searcy. I'm talking about Chris Cifrio. Uh, Chris, welcome, buddy. Thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here, man. What, uh, what do you got going today? You've been, uh, you've been in the woods. You've been, you've been working. You've been selling boat motors. What's, what's your agenda right now? Well, today uh, we really didn't do a duck hunt this morning because uh, the birds are pretty, the birds are pretty, uh, pretty shy and 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 stale. And what we do have here, uh, there's not too many birds as far as around, uh, you know. And of course, we just got back from Prairie Wings, uh, doing a, a great hunt down there. First time I've ever been down there, so I was excited to go. And uh, we killed a lot of birds, had a lot of good times and uh you know got to blow the new jargon call down there yeah that was exciting as heck for me too and we're going to get to jargon later on maybe even in a future podcast but today i just wanted to spend a lot of time talking about the lifestyle of the arkansas duck hunter and how much different it is in a lot of ways it's different than a lot of places you go in the continental united states south america canadian provinces arkansas just has so much duck hunting culture and one of the things that sticks out the most is how much boats are used and by no means am i saying that people don't hunt in idaho on the snake river in boats people don't hunt in california in boats i'm not saying that at all i'm just simply saying that this is the land of hunting in boats right here this this in louisiana is probably the top two duck hunting states in the country for boats texas southeast texas might be up in there um but as far as ducks having a lot of ducks mississippi might be around there but that general area of of arkansas and louisiana you have to have a boat to be successful in a lot of ways unless you concentrate mainly on rice checks and walking down a check and hunting a flooded rice field is that fair to say do you think most duck hunters have to have a a boat here oh exactly i mean most everybody around here has a boat motor either it be a 15 horsepower on the back of it, a little 14 foot john boat or you know maybe up to a 17 foot but mostly everything everybody's using Using either a 16, 17 foot with a 25 up to a 50 horsepower outboard, or up to a, uh, a 40 horsepower surface drive. Now, uh, of course, the the surface drive has has changed uh, the market. We just came out with the brand new Boss 40 XP, and uh, you know that's exciting. It's uh, I I got one this year. It's the first time I ever got to put my my hands on the tiller handle and and drive it uh, through the woods. And I can tell you, it's impressive. It is really impressive uh, that they've changed a lot of things. They've they've uh, you know the XP stands for extreme performance. We wanted to have the best of the best gears, uh, be able to have low end on the bottom end to be able to carry heavy loads. That's when one thing that people really told us was is that they carry heavy loads and that they needed a motor to be able to carry those heavy loads through the timber, uh, through the marsh, um, you know, through the backwater uh, areas to be able to access. So we went ahead and, and listened to them and, and changed some stuff up. Uh, you know, other than that, we had a few more modifications to the actual unit, which would be the key, the key switch. We, we transferred that to the tiller handle uh, to make it more accessible to the driver. So I'm excited. I've, I've been running one this year uh, throughout the duck season. 
and and it's I'm telling you it's impressive. I'm running on a 1751 XL boat, and and it's it's just it's unbelievable. So um, glad to be here and uh, and talk about Boss Drives. So when you're talking about the duck hunter in this area of the country and all of the different ways that a boat comes in handy for a duck hunter in Arkansas, I just want to stick with Arkansas since that's where we're at, but it's nothing to go to a public boat ramp here at one of the WMAs, one of the wildlife management areas, and see 100 boats lined up. When the ducks get in the woods, the ducks get off the rivers. If the rivers get up, and I've learned this over the last 15 years, of duck hunters are watching that river level. They're always checking in on now they got apps that'll show you where those river levels are those rivers include and not limited to the white the cash the black um there's other rivers that come down through that you know different parts of northern arkansas and then filter down through the grand prairie of stuttgart the rice country and then empty out into the mississippi so looking at the ge- geographical layout of the grand prairie and the duck hunting there's a lot of duck hunting above and north of i-40 that that you know kind of separates that that I, that grand prairie country and then the part of arkansas that's not really considered the grand prairie in my opinion where it's it's mainly you know trees and rivers and and that's the beginning of arkansas is that fair to say and or teach me a little bit about where we sit right now is this considered the grand prairie here or do you have to get south of here and south of interstate 40 to be in the grand prairie yeah the grand prairie is mainly around stuttgart area you know of course how it kind of works is you got the boot hill in missouri and from the boot hill it bottlenecks through the mountains and and comes on down to the black river and the black river just you know disperse the ducks disperse down the black river the cash river the white river uh the mississippi river uh this year of course they're they're hanging around the mississippi river and the langale river because we didn't have water till later on uh we just received water over here we had a little bit at the beginning but it fell right out uh they weren't ready i guess to to release water up there bull shoals so we're just now and again get some water but the only thing we're lacking right now is the ducks up here yeah up here so what do you mean bull shoals there's a is that a big reservoir is it a lake bull shoals is a big reservoir uh, you have bull shoals that feeds it and uh there's one more lake up there that i'm trying to think off the top of my head that that feeds actual white river but mostly mainly it's bull shoals that dam up there when they start generating and releasing water which they normally try to release water early on so the springtime they're not caught up with you know a lot of flooding going on so Bull Shoals is a, a dam system that that the government or the you know the Corps of, Core of Engineers regulates, and they'll release water at certain times. When that water releases, that's when the rivers will start to come up and then hopefully get above their banks. That's going to be the White River. So the Cash River, I mean, you can literally drop a bottle of water, dump a bottle of water out, and, it, and it'll rise. I mean, it doesn't take really much to, to bring the Cash River up. And on dry years, we always have the Cash River up. But that being said, you know, as well as I do, ducks want a lot of different areas to be able to access and to be able to, you know, hang out and chill out and feed and and rest and so forth. So whenever we only have the Cache River over here up, uh, we still kill ducks, but it's not nearly as good as when we have the White River, the Cache River, the Black, the Langale, the the Mississippi River up. So as far as public or flooded timber hunting, 
there's two ways you get flooded timber in this area. Either you, the rivers come up and they get outside of their banks and they flood into those areas to where uh, in, in some of those areas, there's public areas that get flooded, like the Biomita, a, a White River at Refuge area to where you can walk in and hunt or you can boat in and hunt. There's a lot of areas around the cache and the black that you can access through a boat ride and get back into some public woods. And there's also private woods that back up against those areas. And then down, you know, south of here, you also have a bunch of private woods that back up to public areas and when those rivers get out the private woods can get wet or and the public areas get wet but yeah. the other part of that is guys that own private woods can pump their woods and get them wet so if there does happen to be a push of ducks and those ducks are familiar with an area of going there and knowing that there's going to be water in those woods and they get down here and they go to their first spot and they're like whoa there's no water in there yet. The rivers are out. They might have plan B or a backup of saying, well, I'm, you know, ancestrally, I remember this other spot we went to and it was wet this time of year. So then they might go and find some private woods and those private landowners or private woods owners might have some successful hunts even when the rivers aren't up. So is that fair to say that that's the two way those woods are going to get wet? No, that is fair to say. I mean, but that being said, you know, you have the black up there that's artificially flooded. Uh, there's a couple different areas that they artificially flood. Now they're starting to pull some of that back. Uh, they were before they were flooding, you know, a bunch of different areas to be able to, you know, have more opportunities for the duck hunters around here. But they since found out that, you know, they're having some issues with trees, trees dying, uh, slowly starting to get to get to where they're they, they were flooding them before they really became dormant. And and now they pushed it back to where they're floating it actually around November 15th instead of October. They used to they'd start putting all the all the drains, uh, the blocks on the drains around October 1st. And now they've pushed it back because of making sure that the trees are dormant, you know, which I agree with. I, I definitely agree. I mean, I'm all about the ducks. I'm all about making sure that, you know, our future generations have an opportunity like I've had, you know, uh, I've been here, been hunting Arkansas for over 17 years. And I can tell you a lot of things have changed. I know the trees have changed. I know the, the, the pressure has changed. Uh, there's a lot of different things that are going on. And, and the Arkansas Game of Fish, although they might not be, in the, be doing the best thing, uh, they are trying. They're trying to improve. And, I mean, that's, it's, it's a tough job. It really is, you know. Uh, so that being said, right now we're pretty much at full pull. Uh, we've got a lot of places up, but kind of getting back to your question as far as on, on the ducks and, and private landowners having, having, you know, artificially flooding their places, well, what'll happen is, is they'll artificially flood it, they'll get some ducks, and then of course, those ducks will become stale really, really quick. And then they'll have no opportunity or no place for them to go, so they'll just push on down. And so on a dry year like that, it's very, very, very hard to stay on, on top of ducks. And when you say, you know, ducks become stale, that the water becomes kind of stale too. The longer it, it sits on there, um, there's something to be said about when the river gets out in that, fre- that water, it might not necessarily be deemed fresh, but that river water could be pretty fresh. You know, 24, oh, 48 hours rainwater gets in those backwoods. Those woods get wet. And what happens is that things come alive, the bugs, the invertebrates, the mallards will get in there. And you've taught me a lot. And other people in this area have taught me a lot that mallards will find and they'll seek out that fresh water because it has fresh food whereas opposed to like dormant waters water that's been sitting there for a little bit that doesn't have a real good flow going through it and bringing fresh water into it that 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 food's a better source of of proteins and nutrients for those ducks right right and i kind of 
explain that like this basically same thing with us being humans you know we get a new restaurant in town hey let's go check it out you know you got a new restaurant pop up in a different area and you're like hey what's going on over there let's go check that place out so ducks are the same way they're no different than us they're trying to eat uh sleep and uh and breed so uh you know that being said you know the the fresh water like you're talking about you could actually have it to where you would be killing ducks in one area, the river rise six inches, three inches, and you better move because the ducks are going to move and they're going to move on to that new water. And when you say move on to new water, you're talking about they get up and they'll actually leave that area. They'll be out of there for good. You're, you're looking for a new push of birds, right? So these ducks are always seeking fresh water. Like when you when these ducks get off of the rice fields, they're eating in rice overnight. Is, is is that right? I mean, most of the ducks in Arkansas will stay in a rice field overnight? Yes, they'll stay in a rice field overnight unless they're pressured, of course, and they become what we call afternoon birds to where they'll basically hang out all in the morning and uh, in the rice and then they'll come check out the timber later on in the afternoon, which is considered a stale duck. So... Yes, they will will seek out that new water three inches. They might not move out of the area, but they might move 200, 300 yards away. And and you better get up and go ahead and move over there because it's either between a good hunt or a bad hunt really, really quick. You know as well as I do, you got to be on the X. And if you're not on the X, uh, you know, you're going to be sitting where watching blue skies or watching birds just fall into a hole. So you just said something there, too, that blue skies when you're in the woods. Um not saying again that, again i'm not saying that you can't have a nice successful duck hunt when it's overcast or low ceiling or gray or stormy you know we did it the other day we we were on a spot that had some fresh ducks in the area we sounded like ducks we had some a really good jerk string system going on in in, in the in the hole and we had some opportunities which is key you got to have ducks around but it's very hard to hide from mallard ducks in those woods when it's that gloomy you might get a few to do it but for the most part they have a really good chance of picking you out with no sunshine and most duck hunters not most of them but around the country you always hear man it's a ducky day it's stormy and it's snowing and it's raining and it's blowing i love the wind don't get me wrong but man that low ceiling we need it we need it in california i've seen it work and in the rice fields in louisiana i've seen it work but i love mallard ducks on a bluebird day whether i'm in a cornfield in north dakota or on the snake river in idaho or in the trees of arkansas i just think they act like wild ducks more to where they they you just see them do so many more cool things where in the gray sky they're just kind of looking down they're like no nope, it's just it's dead down there it's dark it's not they'll go find, they'll just go land out by themselves in a really small slit in the woods when you get those blue skies though and you got those shadows and that brightness and that reflection off of the water and you can get on the dark side of a tree and the decoys pop and and you're calling it just seems like everything comes together on a bright day with the wind and some cold and some colder temperatures is it safe to say or is it fair to say that most timber hunters because you've coined the term that's what timber hunters do is it safe to say that we timber hunters and i put myself in there because it's my favorite we want bluebird sky Oh, no doubt. I mean, the biggest thing with a, a bright sunny day is is the shadows. The shadows and that sun being in their face to where they can't really see and see what's going on down in the timber. You know, of course, the same thing is it goes to in hand with a hunting on a field. You know, you're sitting in a blind and you got the wind, you got the sun exactly where it needs to be. When the birds go to decoy, 
they can it's, it's the difference between them finishing or having them take a 20 25 30 yard shot and so you know and you know as well as i do everybody wants them in your face five ten yards uh 15 yards really 20 yards max is what you want to be be shooting ducks at so yes on a block on a cloudy day which i can remember three years ago when the water did come up we didn't have but maybe seven eight sunny days and we just had to deal with it but that being said on those sunny days when they did come out i mean it was just you know talk we talk about volleys there was tons of volleys going off everywhere all around arkansas and so uh, that being said, I mean, I'm all, I'm definitely, I, I don't know if it's just, I like a sunny day. And the reason why I like a sunny day is because for one thing, you can see the green head, you can see the birds a lot better. They react different. Uh, and overall you're in a better mood <laughs> on a sunny day. There's know? no doubt. But I really think that, you know, as far as us being able to pick out a green head, that's one thing, but when they're flying around those trees, that's a, a big part of it is seeing ducks too. On a sunny day, you see those high ducks. There's a lot of ducks on a cloudy day, low ceiling day that are above those clouds. You never see them. Sometimes you're lucky enough to hear them depending on the wind, depending where they're at, uh, according to your geographical location. So if you can't see them, you're really not hunting because you're not sitting there hammering on them all the time. We do rattle the timber once in a while and call just to see if we can get a reaction, get something to come. But when you're on a sunny day, you can look up and see those high ducks that are transferring all over the place. Flying, I mean, some of them can be coming to this part of the country from West Tennessee, Southeast Missouri. They could be coming from across the river from Mississippi. I mean, we don't know how far ducks are coming from. So when they're high like that and you can see them in the timber, you have a good opportunity with your duck call to hear them because they're used to flying over those woods and hearing ducks. And I want to go somewhere with this because it's, it's one of those things to where if you can't see them, you're not really hunting them. On a bluebird day, you're you're looking up, hey guys, get on them. And they might break and they might come up and they might, you might get a reaction. They check up on you and they start sailing. And when those ducks start sailing, you're like, guys are sailing, get ready. And the next thing you know, those five ducks that broke and came could turn into 20 and 30, 50, 100 in a heartbeat over timber because those other ducks see that action. It becomes like a vortex for snow geese or a bunch of spinning wings in a cornfield. And they, they just see that. They're like, there it is. That's our spot. And they all just start adding into it. So you might have three, you know, 30 ducks out front of you starting to cut and make a circle. And then all of a sudden, and then another 10 join. And then some come from the left and join. And they're just dropping out of everywhere. And that's what I love about bluebird days is that it gets ducks to act right. It gives you that opportunity to see them and try to get them to break and, and and, and, and get them to check up and, and start to sail on you. And then when they get over the trees, though, it's a game of hide and seek to where with those clouds and it's just dull and gray and, and just blah down there, you really don't have a chance. And with what we do with the circus that we bring in anywhere that we go hunting, we have to be able to hide. We have to have shadows. We have to be able to get on the right side of the tree where it's dark. And we got to be able to kick that water and move that water and, and create those audio and visual effects that make those ducks go, man, they got to be real down there. They sound like ducks. They're moving around like ducks. I can't see anything that's lurking. I don't see anything that could hurt me down there. There's no boogeyman present. I'm going in. And when they drop through those trees, you're just like gasping for air because it literally takes your breath away. It does. But but the biggest thing, I think, with the, the sunshine is the decoys. Decoys will light up like a Christmas tree when there's sun on them. There's times that we're in the timber and it's, say, 30 minutes after daylight, and the sun, we're waiting on that sun to hit the decoys. We're like, man, we got we to gotta reposition these decoys to get the sun on the decoys quicker. Because the quicker you can get them sun on the decoys, they're going to see those decoys and they're going to react. 
it's like magnets we call them magnets basically and there's different decoys on the market that you know will pop and and make it make it to where they light up i've even tried and we've done it before is put pintails are really 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 white and bright we put pintails in the temper do you see a pintail in the timber often no i mean we kill a couple here and there they're not a duck that really using the timber but we'll do that sometimes to actually get them to react and and bring and bring ducks in so that that being said you know that's the biggest difference on a sunshine day in my opinion and plus you can see the water moving a lot easier on a bright sunny day the ducks can't versus on a cloudy day they're going to react to a jerk string way better on a sunny day than they will on a cloudy day so everything kind of comes together on a sunny day there's so many variables that are that make it even better you know on a sunny day versus a cloudy day so uh, that being said uh, we got sunshine today and and hopefully in the next couple of days i'm gonna be helping my brother and my dad and hopefully we have a uh, we have some sunny days coming throughout the week. And I agree with what you're saying about the color of the decoys and, you know, mixing in sprig for white. We do that a lot, you know, in a lot of places we hunt. If we're hunting swans, we'll, we'll, we'll have swan decoys out there, a couple snow goose decoys, and mallards will react to that. When we're hunting mallards out west, we'll put canvasback decoys or sprig decoys out, and, and, and it'll react because that brightness draws them in. They see it from a long ways away. Then you got to go to work once they get closer with movement, ripples, motion, jerk strings, realistic calling, hiding, all of that stuff. But I think that there's a lot of places in Arkansas and flooded timber that aren't man-made holes. There's a lot of places that are just real slits. Tight. They're real tight. So the visual part of it to me doesn't add up a lot of the times because when they're way up there, it's hard for them to see anything in those woods. And I don't know if a wild duck can decipher between something that's over here on this log that might be off color of a tree. It might be a little bit more white in it. It might be something that's a flashing, you know, a little bit. It might be a flasher that somebody put up there in deer season, whatever it is those tight slits or those tighter holes, I don't know if they really can see decoys in them. I don't know if they can see it. They might be able to see a little bit and it draws their attention, but it's more audio to me. You see them and you start hammering on them. I think that's what gets cuts or ducks to start sailing and gets them to check up and start their descent down over the woods. Then they start to pick up on things like decoys and and realistic, uh, you know, action and, and, and ripples and water moving and stuff. But there's a lot of people that I've talked to in this part of the country that don't even use decoys. No, they don't. So they're kicking water, they're thrashing water, they're making, they're slapping their leg and making it sound like wings are hitting the water and ducks are kicking their feet up against the, you know, in the water up against the tree and they're, and, and it's all for the sound. So those ducks are hearing that thrashing. I call it thrashing because they're thrashing around in the woods and being active because ducks really don't quit moving unless it's a cold day and they're trying to sleep. Right. They're swimming around, they're being active and they're just making all kinds of racket, right? They're thrashing around. So I think once they get down, they can see, but when they're way up there, I don't know if you could persuade me that, yeah, man, they're seeing decoys way up there in our in our future podcast we start talking about calls and the audio sounds that ducks make i want to talk about that because there's that's the reason why so many freaking badass duck callers are in the state of arkansas because you have to sound like a duck and be able to run and operate a duck call to get their attention when they're way up there because a lot of times when you're hunting in timber on a bluebird day you have to get high ducks to sell unless again you're in a set of woods that you know they're going to and you're call what you said quote unquote the x there's a lot of days to where you can get ducks to break that might not necessarily think they were going to where you were that day and you give them to break and start working you and that's my thought on it is and what i've picked up is that 
it's audio until they get down far enough. And then if you know, you, you're exactly right. I mean, it is definitely audio until they get down exactly to be able to see the big, you know, if you hunt the cash river system and you're in a big hole on the ca actual cash river, then yes, decoys pay, plays a major role in actually, you know, convincing those ducks to, to descend and come on down. But that being said, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. It's it's definitely auto. There's tons of people. And that's why the cut down call is, has been and, and is, you know, so effective in the woods. You want a loud call to be able to break those ducks, especially on a cold, windy, uh, sunny day. You've got to be able to reach out and touch them with, with some type of call. And when I want to get to the the boats again i want to get back there i want to talk about calling i i don't really want to get into it wholeheartedly right now because i do want to talk, have another conversation about just calling and how important it is to duck hunting and how i think every duck hunter owes it to themselves and the birds to become proficient at it i do or at least have a proficient caller with you on each of your hunts um but as far as arkansas and these rivers and this water getting up and these boat rides through boat ditches and getting to holes and and using and using different style of motors there's a lot of different motors that are used um there's a couple things that come to mind when you get out of a, when you get in a place that doesn't have man-made boat ditches in it and it's not manicured for duck hunting in the off season meaning once they get the water off their woods they drain the water off of it they let it dry out a little bit then they can go in there and they can do several things they can clear more holes they can they can uh you know bush hog and get a bunch of bushes out of an area they can make a new hole they can clear trees out and make a brand new hole they might buy a new piece of timber that butted up against theirs and they got room for another hole or another blind or whatever um and at the same time they're they're making sure their boat ditches are manicured and cleared out and, and and making it to where their access into these spots to hunt is a little bit more comfortable and easier uh for you know come duck season they fill it up with water you'll have eight feet in there i mean you could drive a boat no problem but in these some areas you don't have that luxury you got to really maneuver through tight spots tight timber areas where there's not a clearing there's not a boat road that's been made and dug out eight feet deep it could be 10 inches 12 inches two feet of water with a bunch of stumps and logs and you have to become proficient of operating a boat to get to a lot of places to hunt ducks and that's kind of where i'm at with this is that there's a lot of forms of transportation in the world. There's being a, you know, an awesome race car driver to a, a real safe driver that you never get a speeding ticket or any kind of accidents. There's motorcycle racers. There's, there's guys that, that drive buses. There's guys that drive a lot of different automobiles. Then you got guys that fly planes. Then you got guys that drive trains and you got all of these different conductors and pilots and car operators and race car drivers and all these things going on. And then you got the, the, the guy, the captains, the boat guys, the guys that can run these boats. And I'm in awe of them a lot of the times, whether I'm on the ocean south of Fort Lauderdale chasing sailfish and I see what these boat guys can do, these captains that can race these boats at 70 miles an hour, jumping out of the water, chasing fish. It's amazing to see to me. And it's not that anybody can just get in there and do it. It's, it could be scary. It can be nerve wracking. It could create anxiety when you're in there. You're just like, Oh my God, this guy's unreal. I feel so safe with this guy. When there's a proficient guy that can drive a boat, same goes for Arkansas duck hunting. It's not, you just jump in one of these mud boats and in a 14 to 17, 18 foot John boat and have your motor on the back. And you're like, I'm going to go get to these holes. Cause you're going to get beat a lot of days on these public areas. You have to become a proficient 
boat operator. And safety comes into that. Speed comes into that. Knowing how to navigate the waters comes into that. Knowing how to use your motor as far as, you know, if you do get in a tight situation, does it have reverse? If it doesn't, how do you navigate out of it? And you're a very good boat driver because it's what you do. And there's a lot of very good boat operators in this area. And it's something that I'm envious. That I have a lot of envy for and I've, I've practiced and practiced. And people have heard me say it that I've, I made a decision five years ago to become a good boat driver. I wanted to get better at it. I want to be able to, you know, find if I get stuck or, or you might have to, a beaver dam in your way and you got to figure out a way to jump over it. And there's, is it, is it something that it takes practice? And you know, that old analogy, like you just got to go, you, you can't learn it from a book. You got to be out there. And, and where I'm going with this, Chris is like, you got to get out and practice, right? Even if it's the off season, get out there and practice. If you can find water on these woods or if it's legal, make sure it's legal first. But t- talk to me about becoming proficient with a boat. I don't want to go into the motor yet, but tell me some of the things that a duck hunter in Arkansas, this part of the world has to be good at with a boat. Well, you know, we have, they have, they hold in Augusta, they actually have boat races and stuff that they go on over here. I know they have some stuff in Louisiana too, that they have boat races to where, you know, I guess these guys are practicing, they're practicing on the off season to make sure that they can, you know, get the trim right, get everything perfectly adjusted on their, on their boat, on the transom, on the bottom of their boat, so forth. I mean, there's a bunch of different boat dealers over here that, you know, that's what they do is they'll set up a boat for, you know, for racing for the timber and so forth. And, it, and it's not just to, to be able to race them out of hole, it comes in for a safety issue too. You know, you got outboards that if if you start porpoising or start basically, you know, lose control of your rig, uh, it can become a dangerous, you know, problem. I mean, you're, we're running through trees over here. You know, there's sometimes that, you know, uh, there's some places, boat runs that you're going between trees and you might have two or three inches in between the boat and the actual, you know, rail on the, the, uh, the actual, on the actual rail on the boat and the actual tree. So, that being said, you have to be proficient over here. It's not about, hey, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to go go ahead and fly by and see if I can make it. There's an issue. They have a term over here called send it. And they're basically saying send it because whenever you get behind the wheel and you go to take off, you better be rocking and rolling and have everything in line. Because if you don't, there's been a bunch of issues of people running into trees, railing the bow up, you know, breaking the bow up. And, and, and ejecting people. There was actually a, some people down at Bayou Mita that got ejected. And I think even one kid might even got killed. And so it, it becomes a safety issue too. Being able to know how to operate that boat over here, you're not, we're not running in, in, in places like the Louisiana Marsh, where if you get ejected, hey, you know, yeah, it becomes an issue of drowning and you better have your life jacket on. But it's down here, it can be an issue to where you hit a log, it throws you till the handle sideways and you're ejected from the boat. And that water, I can tell you, you're not going to last long in the water, nor if you hit your head and you don't have a life jacket on. I, I am actually making sure here from here on out that I, I, I try to wear my life jacket. I always wear my kill switch, but I try to wear my life jacket, even though it might be bulky on top of my clothes and so forth. I want to make sure that I'm safe and that I get on to my family every day. Because that's that's really what matters at the end of the day to make sure we had a safe hunt. Same thing with you know as far as shotguns go, making sure that everybody's safe. Yeah, safety's key, and I think that that's where I was going with that. Is that the way that these guys are with boats down here? There is a lot of potential for accidents, and you gotta you have to take in mind you got to keep in mind all of the other people 
that are trying to do the same thing you are. Nobody owns those waters. It's no, it's all of our right to be in that water. You know, there's new laws in Arkansas about non-residents hunting different WMAs and different pieces of land in the, in the state that's, you know, that's been passed. There's, there's a lot of, um, ego i think that goes into into something to where you know this is our waters this is where we're at i've been hunting here since i was a kid i i I could be the same way out in nevada you know don't come here and shoot our mule deer leave our antelope alone if you don't if you're not born and raised in nevada well that's the dumbest most ignorant thing in the world we're free as americans to go where we want and do what we want as long as we don't break the law as long as we're ethical and we do it with respect. I'm allowed to come to Arkansas with my boat registered and, and get in your waters in certain places, you know, de- depending on the new laws and, and hunt the same areas that you are. So I don't I, I, I don't like that part about it of stay out of our way. This is our place. You know, you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to deal with people. I'm not saying that I'm going to come in here and try to take over the place or anybody that I know is. I'm just simply saying that safety is key. Respecting each other is key. There's a lot of people, you know, there's there's uh, laws in Arkansas, what time you can take off, when you can put your boat in the water, when you can leave that 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 area of the boat dock or the, the, the ramp and, and access these areas to go find ducks. And when it takes off, it's like a Bassmasters event. There's been accidents. There's been fist fights. There's been arguments. There's been ignorance. And I think that it's it's easier to say, you know what? We're going to get there. We might be a few minutes behind you. There's plenty of places to hunt. The ducks are in the trees. It doesn't matter if you're on public property or private property. I've seen it here. You saw it the last three days. We're on some of the best woods in the state on private property, button up against you know, public property. Yeah. We didn't have to go to the boat ramp. We had to wake up early. We had to get in a boat. We had to work hard. We have to be proficient duck hunters. We're killing the same ducks, hunting the same ducks, calling it the same ducks. It's not like those ducks come in the private woods. They're tame. We're right up against those public woods, man. There was a lot of times where a volley would go off and screw up a group that was working us. And I'm sure when we shot, we screwed up ducks that were exactly. working other people, but we automatically go, man, this is, you know, this is why, you know, you lose it. And you're like, Think about it. Take a deep breath, pump the brakes a little bit, and you're just like, we're going to get our ducks. We're going to have plenty of opportunity. We're in freaking Arkansas. It's the duck capital of the world. A million mallard ducks get killed here a year in the national harvest. You know, when you start looking at numbers, more than that, it's the number one mallard state every year. I think once in a while, Louisiana jumps in there too. But it's always Louisiana and Arkansas for mallard harvest. I hope I have that right, but I know Arkansas is always number one. So think about it safety is a key role but these boats can be dangerous and i'm not i don't want to make the, the discussion about the danger of boating because it's fun it's a blast and where i'm going with that is that it's the best way to hunt freaking ducks ducks are meant to be again this is my opinion they're meant to be hunted over water water mm-hmm. to me means a boat and i'm not saying public area you walk in you're coming up in your duck hunting career you got to walk in or carry your decoys in or you got your canoe or your sled or whatever we've all been there we've all done it. i still enjoy doing all that but being in a boat and navigating a waterway and finding a spot to hunt ducks and then getting in up against a tree or in a blind or a, whatever way you can see yourself on the shore and having a place, uh, you know, to hunt them, kill them, put them in that boat, get back in that boat, drive out, get to that boat ramp, put the boat back on the trailer, go to the cafe. I don't know if there's a better feeling in the world. So boats to me are the best way to hunt ducks, period. And uh, that knowing that how many boats are in this area you go to max prairie wings on any given day there's a 300 boats in the parking lot behind trucks behind cars everybody's got a boat so what is how do you separate yourself in the boat market 
there's so many of these quote unquote duck boat makers, right? We run and we have a great partnership with Edge Duck Boats out of Arkansas. Tom Cox and Hunter and the entire crew over there take great care of us. They build a badass boat. You were in two different models this this weekend. The new 656 TST, that tiered that tiered system transit that or transom that has the two steps in the back. You saw how easy it was to get in the boat for dogs and humans, and it just ran so smooth everywhere we took it. What is the difference? Like, talk to me about the difference in these boats, in your opinion. You have a lot of different manufacturers. I don't want to name a bunch of them, but I want to, is there a big difference? Is it the materials they're using? Is it the shape of it? Is it the bottom of the boat, the transit? Is it the way that it's put together and welded? Is Talk to me a little bit on your opinion of, and I know that was long-winded, but I'm going somewhere to where, how does a duck hunter, whether he lives in Arkansas or he's coming to Arkansas to hunt, how does a duck hunter or a potential boat customer pick the right boat? The main thing that they're looking for in a boat here in Arkansas, everybody will tell you, is for one thing, they're looking for a boat that's light, can get up and, and, and get some speed to it. But the main thing they're looking for is that boat to be able to cut. And of course, the reason why is because of the timber that we're going through. Most everybody's hunting the timber over here. Yes, we get on the rivers, we'll run up and down the rivers and so forth. And that's that becomes a, a thing too, that you gotta have a boat that will take the river. You don't wanna be out on the on the river systems over here in a in a fourteen foot, you know, John boat. It's just dangerous at the end of the day. So I think what they're looking for is they're looking for, for one thing, a boat that's whenever you do come off a plane, you're not going to get backwash straight back in the boat. You want a boat that basically when you pull up in the timber, used to back in the day, there was no such thing as a hunt deck on a boat. Everybody with their waders and whatnot, which waders have changed drastically now, but everybody would have to just kind of roll in the boat or step on the back of the motor on the uh, cavitation plate to be able to hop back into the boat. But now we got hunt decks where it makes it so easy to access, you know, be accessible to get in back and forth into the boat. Plus with dogs, you know, your dog, if you're hunting out of the boat, which we frown upon that around here, we, nobody likes to hunt out of a boat, but it makes it so much easier when you do have to hunt out of the boat for your dog to be able to, you know, get in and out of the boat and not be able to dock over guns and, 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 you know, run across your bags or whatnot. They have a perfect place that they can even sit on the back of the hunt deck to be able to hunt. So the hunt deck, the transom of keeping, making sure water's not gushing in into the back of the boat and you get that backwash of water when you come off the plane, that's key. And of course now boats, that, that, you know, we have going on as far as these different manufacturers, everybody's lighting it up. You know, we got, I was at the boat ramp the other day and they're running green lights and blue lights and, you know, all kinds of different color lights on the inside of the boat. And that's cool. I mean, I'm still old school with the, my old white lights in my boat. But that being said, there's so many more accessories in a boat and, and there's so much more stuff in it that they've, I guess, you know, changed and revolutionized in the actual boat market. Uh, headlamps in the front. You're not an Arkansas duck hunter unless you, you really have an LED light on the front of your boat now because of, you know, where we run. It's got to be bright. you got to be able to see those hidden logs and stumps and everything underneath the surface of the water to be, to be safe and, of course, efficient getting into the hole. Nobody wants to run across and run over the top of a log uh, unless you're in a surface drive, of course. Uh, but nobody wants to be in an outboard, run across a log and, and, and have the tiller hand come back up in, in, in their boat or the whole, whole motor. I've seen a, a guy on the Cash River years ago hit a huge cypress tree and threw the whole motor, broke the transom on the actual motor itself and was, was in his lap, basically. Uh, 
and and that's of course a, a safety issue and that kind of rolls into you know to the surface drive deal of, of you know it being more safe so what is the length of a boat that i want as an arkansas duck hunter 16 or 17 foot i i particularly like a 1748 to 1754 i don't like it any wider than that i run a 1751 and the reason why is because there's been a saying that trees actually will grow 48 inches apart in the timber i don't know if there's any truth to that or not but you know there's been situations where if you if you do get really any bigger than a 50 51 54 inch boat uh, you have issues getting through some tight spots in the timber so 1751 what'll happen is especially with a surface drive kind of getting what the surface drive is is you need displacement you need bottom displacement in order to be able to be proficient in, in adjusting your load in the boat because mud motors are somewhat load tolerant and you know that being said a 1751 if you go anything bigger than a 17 foot boat it's just really too big to maneuver around in a temper i'm not saying you can't get away with an 18 foot boat but a 17 foot in my opinion is gives you enough room in your boat to put your decoy bags your guns your guys and you know because we're always carrying three three guys in a boat max really and so a 17 is just that perfect length in my opinion to be able to do that now they've got guys that are running you know 15s and 16s and that's fine you know hey look you you buy the boat that you can afford but at the end of the day, the 17-foot boat, I think, across the board, you probably see more people with a 17 nowadays than, than any other size boat. So light, the, the weight of the boat is important. You want something that you can fit a load of gear in, some three or four hunters maybe, three hunters, a dog. You don't want to over, you know, overload that boat. Sometimes you want to be able to get up on plane. Sometimes you got to be able, uh, you know, the more weight you add, the harder that boat gets to operate no matter what. So there's a lot of choices out on the market for boats again we choose edge one because i absolutely love tom's attitude on the the company and the direction of the company i love where he goes with what he does with his employees and i love his idea and his concepts as far as design go he's very innovative in my opinion i think they build a great boat i'm not saying there's not other great duck boat manufacturers because we all know that there are and a lot of them are right here in this part of the country in arkansas most of most of them are and there's a lot of choices out there so there's a lot of due diligence that needs to be done by a potential customer if you're in the market for a boat that you're going to go duck hunting with depending on where you live in the country your you your needs might be different than our needs down in arkansas i say that again because i am the adopted son of arkansas you know kidding chris but there is a lot of um different variations of boat needs across the country so do take the time to figure out what's going to work for you and how heavy of a boat do you want how long of a boat how wide of a boat are, are you going to be on the columbia river in washington you probably could have a little bit longer a lot wider boat you could have something that's a little bit more heavy duty you're probably going to put a jet motor on it you know with the center console there's all kinds of different things that you can do so that leads us into the probably you know the second most important tool in an arkansas duck hunter's arsenal I, I don't know. I don't know if the duck call or the boat's number one. The duck call's probably number one in Arkansas. Like, everybody knows about duck calls in Arkansas, which blows my mind every time I come here. But now you got the boat taken care of, and now it's time to move on to the motor. Traditionally, you know, up until 
mud motors, quote unquote, mud motors were made. And I don't know if Coco was the original one with Go Devil with the long shaft, but he sure did make it popular and famous with the vi the old Duck Commander videos back in the day when him and Phil were down in Louisiana chasing gadwalls and mallards. And then um, it's kind of evolutionized and, and grown and evolved into more choices in this market too. A lot of different manufacturers that hail from a lot of different parts of the country. Um, we run with you guys. We run with Boss out of Louisiana. Boss drives. Um, they introduced a new motor to the market that we talked about in the beginning of this conversation, the new 40 XP Extreme Performance. They, they have different size motors. We want to talk about that today. But here we are back to that same question is a guy goes to his local marine shop. He reads Wildfowl Magazine. He goes on the internet, the World Wide Web, and types into Google and says duck boat motors. And here comes all these search engine optimization to where you guys have done your homework to get your names up on top of the page on Google and people start to investigate duck boat motors. Do you think that in this part of the country, more people are running outboards right now or is it starting to get less? And I want to go into a little bit about the mud motor. There's even stuff in Arkansas that says they want to outlaw them on WMAs mainly because of the noise or is it because of the areas they allow them to get a lot easier and a lot quicker. Talk to me a little bit, just first answer the question. Are there as many mud motors in Arkansas as there ever been? Is it growing every year? Or do you think the outboard is still the, the go-to here? The outboard is def definitely still the majority just because of, of course, you know, there's there's a lot of guys can pick up a, a 25 or, or a 30 horse, you know, even up to a 40 horse outboard. And I, I don't think it's so much of the cost. It's just, you know, they're still kind of using what their maybe their grandfather told them to use and so forth. And I know when I first started out, I was running outboards, 50, 50 horse Yamaha or, or even up to 70 horse, you know, uh, down in Louisiana. But the, the main difference between going that to, from that outboard to that, to that surface drive was that, you know, I was looking for something that when I woke up in the morning, I didn't really have to, well, the night before, I really didn't have to think about what exactly route I was going to take. You know, considering how many logs and stumps and everything, everything was out there. So I would say the majority is still outboards, but more and more guys are getting surface drives, and there is definitely a lot more surface drives around than there ever has been. And that's probably brought up the the, the issue with people complaining about noise, uh, complaining about you know nobody wants to be sitting in the woods and basically have a uh, a guy run through his decoys with a loud mud motor or a guy running around during the morning time around, you know, say eight or nine o'clock and he's just running around looking for ducks. And I think that's an issue is, is the issue was is that basically guys that are coming here from out of state, you know, of course we welcome them, but, but be courteous, be courteous to others that are out there. And, and there's, you know, you're not courteous when you're, when you're taking off, you're getting here early in the morning and you're, you're running around looking for ducks while everybody else is hunting. So the good thing about the surface drive is, is that it is so much safer, especially here in the timber of Arkansas than an outboard, because the way our motors design, when you hit a stump, it deflects, the tiller handles free floating. So you're not going to get off your course, get off course and get off route of, of which direction you're going. It's a lot safer. It, uh, you know, it can run shallower, of course, 
you know, there's been a lot been said that, you know, surface drives or, or, or running rafts of ducks, getting in the woods and so forth. But if people would just be courteous and people would just be respectful and ethical and say, hey, look, after 12 o'clock, when it's shut down, I'm not going running around even on the rivers in the afternoon. Find your ducks in the morning. If you have to get out of the boat, uh, Freddie King had said one thing before, and it, and it holds true, is, is if, if, if you're on a, a logging road and you killed your ducks, you know, sit tight. Let everybody else kill their ducks. Let everybody else, you know, get to enjoy. You know, they might have not had the best hole that morning, but give them the respect to be able to, you know, go ahead and, and, and finish out their hunt. And if you do have to leave, try to walk your boat. I mean, half this water around here is, is accessible. You'd be able to get out and it's, it's two or three foot of water. And you can walk, try to walk your boat as far away from somebody else as you possibly can until you start it up. So, I mean, there's even there's even outboards out there. They've got outboards out there that have been, the pipes have been taken off of them. And they're just, if not louder, than surface drives. You know, we, we see on the side of the road all the time over here, mallards sit on the side of the road. How many times do you ever see a mallard until you stop your truck? Do they jump? They don't jump. They get accustomed to it. What they get accustomed to in the timber is they kind of associate the mud motors with danger. Not to say they don't associate outboards with danger. Not to say they don't associate shotguns with danger or people talking in the timber with danger. They associate all that with danger. So what happens is if you're running around all through the morning or you run around in the afternoon looking for ducks, well, of course you're going to blow them out of the, out of the country. You're going to blow them out of Arkansas. Eventually, they're not going to want to stay here. So it's, it's not a noise problem uh, just just on mud motors. It's mud motors have revolutionized how we hunt and and changed and made it safer for individuals, made it to where we can access other areas that we weren't be able to access, you know, before. But it's it's really changed the game and and made it to where it's you know, a guy can get in a boat. You were talking about how you have to be proficient in a boat. A guy can get behind the wheel of a boss drive. And, and have a little bit of experience with an outboard telehandle and be able to drive the boss drive with ease because it's the closest thing, the closest surface drive on the market to an outboard motor. It steers just like it. It's got the four neutral reverse as mechanical. It's got a, a Bravo clutch system on the back home clutch system. So it's four neutral reverse just like an outboard system. So there's really, you can jump. I've told guys that's actually come to me and they're like, hey man, I've never really ran a surface drive for how is there some getting used to? I said, dude, have you ever run an outboard? Yeah, yeah, I've run an outboard. It's going to be like night and day then. There's no other learning curve you have to learn to be able to to, to run a boss drive. You know, they have some other different manufacturers that are, you know, have clutches and so forth that, yeah, I mean, it's kind of gets them used to to be able to run that. But other than a twist twist throttle, which might be something we bring to the market if, if we have to, but we've never had a complaint. The reason why there's a actually grab throttle is it's a lot easier to let go than it is to, 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 to yeah to reverse it. So especially if you have the tension tight, tightened up on the twist throttle, then you know it could be a dangerous situation uh, with a surface drive. So that's why it was actually a grab throttle instead of a twist throttle. But there's so many more things you know that on the surface drive itself that have have changed the game you know with the prop the low carry i mean there's been things brought to the market i mean i know just at boss you know we carry probably six different props 
in all kinds of different pitches for a guy that that needs to carry that heavy load he might need to go all the way down to a 10 pitch prop a guy that wants to be able to be a little bit quicker a little bit faster he's not carrying heavy loads he's on a little bit lighter boat and go all the way up to a 13 pitch props we have so many variations of props now at ball strives you know all the way from a three blade to a two blade that people are you know or or able to be able to buy from us now it's 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 I can tell you when I first started with Boss, which is oh, probably four years ago, uh, there's so much that has done changed since then. Of course, you know we started with 35 block back in the day, and of course we offered a 44, but now and that was a carb motor. Now we offer EFI. Went to a 37 EFI. Now they have all the way up to a 40 40 XP, which is a 40 EFI, and I can tell you the power and the torque on that motor is it's just unreal because of the EFI. Because of the EFI, the EFI balances the cylinders on the motor. That's what's so good about it. A guy that does want to do what we call aftermarket mods, you know, it's a lot safer mods than it was back in the day on an actual carb motor. For yeah. the fuel injection you're for, talking about. For the fuel injection, yes. So the, the biggest change we made with the 40XP is is that we actually put 1.4, it's a 1.4-5 gear ratio uh, in in the lower unit, and that was for the guys to where if they want to be able to run a ten pitch prop all the way up to a thirteen pitch prop, they were able to do that without trying to change out a gear set on the bottom side. You could actually change the prop instead of changing the gear set. It was so much easier. We had guys before that would be like, "Hey, look, I want to do mods to it. Want to run faster. Want to be able to get a better prop. Uh, you know, a, pit, a larger pitch prop. You know, can we change the gear set? We did a little bit of that back in the day, but now." I truly believe that you know we've got it nailed down on on the gear ratio on this 40 XP. So, when you say XP, the extreme performance that this includes, what parts of the boat are you categorizing? Categorizing? What's how do I say that word? Categorizing. Categorizing. I, I can't even say it right now. Categorizing. Um, <laughs> What is included in this XP package as far as, like, was the motor before not meant for extreme performance? You throw XP on something, you you open up the bore on a duck call, it's XP, it's extreme performance. Like, it's easy to do. It's easy to say this is extreme performance. A car manufacturer might put that on there, whatever. Turbo, whatever. What is included in the Bosch Drive on the 40, the new 40 that's extreme? Does it include the tiller handle that's free-floating? Is it the fuel injection, the EFI? What all? Is it the pistons? Is it what? What is it the no. gears? What What is included? The, the main thing that the 40 XP stands for, the extreme performance, is the gear set on the bottom side. Of course, that's what's taking the brunt of the force. That's what's taking, you know, most of the impact. Well, all the impacts as far as on the bottom side. So we want to make sure, not to say that back in the day, the 37s, the 35s didn't have really good gear sets we just said hey look you know we want to make sure that we give these guys the the best there is to offer and so we went with the the strongest gear set that mercury has to offer to date and the prop the the, the prop shaft is stronger we've changed made some improvements to it some changes to it not to say we ever had a prop shaft break i mean we might have one or two i mean you're going to have accidents you're going to have problems people running into rocks and so forth but the main difference on that that boss 40 drive xp extreme performance is going to be the prop shaft and the gear set that's what really really makes the the difference in in that you'll be able to carry the heavy loads you'll have the when you do carry the heavy loads of course everybody knows when you have a heavier boat you're going to have harder impacts 
And so the prop shafts change and the gear shafts gear, the gears are changed. It's Mercury gears is what we offer. The top sides of Mercury, we're still using the same Mercury Bravo cone clutch system, which is rated to 500 horsepower. You see it on these big, big cigar boats and so forth in Louisiana. It's a Verados and not Verados, uh, I'm trying to think of the name right now. But anyways, they've been using those for a long time. They got it nailed down to a T. We went with Mercury, dependable, reliable parts. We want to make sure that at the end of the day, people are coming home and uh, they can get in and out of the woods efficiently and safely and, and not have issues. So talk to me a little bit about something that I really would get frustrated about in the past with mud motors is that, um, and, and I guess a lot of outboards could, out, outboard owners could experience this as well, just as much as I had in the past, but the starting of it, okay? The cold morning starts, the duck season starts, it's you don't always have a shop to put your boat in. It stays hooked up to your truck in the parking lot of the hotel. Temperature drops that night. Sometimes you would have an issue with getting it started, keeping it started, giving it a little gas, you know, to with that with that throttle to, to warm it up. What is what are you seeing with the new line of boss, the XP specifically with this issue? Cold morning starts, staying started, warming up faster, getting up and going, you know, at 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 you know, getting the the power into the motor a lot quicker i've seen that with the new 40 xp is that you touch you know that squeeze handle on that squeeze accelerator squeeze throttle you can feel it just build up and build up and gradually you're just on plane and you're rolling especially like if you're out on a river or a bigger body of water where you can really get it going big rooster tail behind you you got the prop just a little bit in the water the thing screams but as far as the initial startup is it easier is it better has it been improved on the xp is it easier to start this boss motor and keep it started yeah the 37 the 37 when they first came out with the first efi the 37 actually had a a oil sensor on the back side and so you turn it over a little bit but it's going to start i mean it's you're not going to have an issue of it starting and, and wanting to die out and so forth but they sense on the 40 they've actually i don't know exactly what they've done uh, i probably need to find that out but I know that there, there's no oil sensor back there anymore, and that might be the was changed. But when you turn the key switch, it's just one click. I mean, literally a split second, and and it's going to fire off. And and you made a comment as far as on you know building power and so forth. Well, it's the throttle response that is so much different in these EFIs. Before you had a lag when you took a carburetor motor and you went to grab the throttle, the McCunies were a little bit better because people, we started putting some, they had some aftermarket, you know, uh, carburetors on these motors. But I can remember the 35 blocks that had a, a Briggs carburetor on it. I mean, they were meant for, those particular carburetors were meant for lawnmowers. They were meant to basically rev it up and cut grass. You didn't sit there and throttle, you know, uh, uh, you know, throttle the, th you know, move the throttle back and forth to actually, you know, uh, cut grass. Now they have it to where basically on the EFI, when you grab that throttle, it's just, it's there. The power's there. It's changed so much. That's the biggest thing I see from guys is that they say is, man, I had a car back in the day and this motor, it's got so much better throttle response than it did in the past. You know, I was like, well, that's the EFI system that, you know, so it has changed. You know, things are always getting better every day. There are people, you know, different companies are coming out with, you know, bigger and better things. And, and Briggs has really stepped up to the game and uh, stepped up to the plate. And, uh, 
and I think hit a home run with this new 40. It's uh, it's definitely a, a game changer and a more proficient motor. Okay, so now you, you stand on the same theme, theme of XP. You made a comment earlier, Chris, about the free the free floating handle, um, which is the easiest way to describe it is the the rod that comes out of the motor in towards the boat that you have the excel you know your throttle on you have your trim on there you have your kill switch on there i want to get into a kill switch in a second too but free floating meaning what like it doesn't go where the motor goes it doesn't go up if the motor goes up tell me what free, free floating means so free floating is is basically when you hit a submerged log if that if that tiller handle is stationary what will happen is is you're gonna for one thing you're gonna bust your knuckles on the bottom of your you know on the uh the deck of your boat but the main thing is is that it, it keeps keeps it where you can keep control of that motor and of the boat steering the boat it goes up and down basically when you hit a log it'll actually pivot up and and get out of the way of the of the bottom deck in order you for you to be able to steer and on a, I've, I've driven motors with, that are stationary, and I can tell you it's, it's an accident waiting to happen. You know, so it's a no-brainer to have a free-floating handle. There's some, there's some other motor manufacturers. I'm confused for a second. I'm not trying to cut you off. Yeah. Don't start over, but kind of start over. Just with the initial answer to the question is the whole handle is free-floating? The whole handle is free-floating. So basically what it is is it's actually a bolt that goes through bolt that goes through the, the knuckle where the actual tiller handle connects to the mounting plate. And it allows it to pivot up and down, the actual tiller handle pivot up and down. There's an actual whenever, a stop to where the tiller handle will stop. Of course, you don't want your tiller handle going all the way down to the bottom of your boat. So it will. there's probably a, I don't know, five, four or five inch range of motion right there where the tiller handle will get up and away and go straight to the back of the motor to be able to get out of the way of the actual deck. Uh, that's probably the best way I can describe it. Other than it's kind of like giving your haircut over the phone, unless I <laughs> unless I I show it to you myself, you know. Well, we'll put some videos up to join this conversation on this life ain't for everybody podcast but, uh, website. But I want to make sure that. I kind of understood you're going, you're getting on it a little bit. That prop might hit a, a log that you don't see. It could be a stump under the water, which I don't know how many times I've tripped and fell. You watched me do it the other day in 4K, in slow motion. Chad Building just takes a tumble, and I look up, and all my friends are laughing at me. Caught on camera. Zach had it just focused to perfect on me, center screen. There's stumps everywhere. So you're coming, you know, you're driving along with that mud motor, that Boss XP 40 XP. You hit one, that prop does what? And that handle that you call free-floating does what? So the motor's going to kick up. It's going to hit that submerged log. It's going to actually deflect off of it and come up and be able to go over that obstacle. And when it does, wherever your hand is positioned, that's where it's going to stay. So you're not going to be – the tiller handle is not going to jerk you down when that motor comes up. If it was stationary, when the mo back of the motor came up, the tiller handle would go down with it, Right. So being as free floating, wherever your hand is sitting there and you hit that submerged log, wherever you're driving at, and it's, it's comfortable to you, when you hit that submerged log or, or, or stump or whatever, it's going to stay stationary because the handle is going to pivot and allow you to just, you know, it not to throw your hand down and hit the actual deck of the boat. Which Does is that make sense? Yes, 100%, which is the reason that you stated earlier that you stay on course. 
Because right. if you if it moves you down and you kind of you kind of react, your boat might sway a little bit to the left. You might, you might point the nose to the right, get off course a little bit, because with that handle being free floating now, your hand stays exactly where it was. So when the prop gets back to where it goes, where it needs to be after it finds its balance again, after it, it falls just back, pivots right down. it pivots back down. That handle's already in the same place it was, exactly. so you're still going in the same direction that you were, right? So right. that's that's a, an awesome concept because. Really, if you had the visual way to look through water, you know, even polarized sunglasses or glasses can't look down that deep where these stumps might be. You never can see everything. So it it would be different if you could trim up. Oh, we're past it. Then trim back down. Talk to me a little bit about some of these videos you see with these guys with these motors, including the the Boss Drives of, of jumping beaver dams and how this is done with the motor. Is it that you see it coming and you have the ability with that surface drive to get it out of the water really fast because the prop's not that deep in the water in the first place. You know it's coming, so you have the the, pro, the boat can go full speed with the prop right underneath the, le- the surface level of the water, correct? Yeah, actually, the prop is going to be half in, half out. That's the the... the perfect angle the perfect you know spot for the prop to be on the run on a on the boss on the boss really any mud motor that that prop is designed to run half in and half out okay half in half out you see a dry beaver dam coming up that's in your roadway in your in your path it's safe to do this it's but you got to be experienced to do this these boats were made to do this talk to me a little bit the boats are made to do it yes you have to be experienced to do it you know i guess the main thing is 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 I guess capsizing your boat, you got to worry about. But I mean, you know, shallow places that you're running, you're not going to have that issue if you're running a shallow place. Of course, we don't at all, uh, um, you know, tell people to go out and and try to go run over logs and run. This motor is designed not to go out there and just basically just go run, you know, ragged and run over everything in in your path. Uh, Everything, you know, can be abused and, and broken. So it's designed for the guys that are trying to get from point A to point B. If they happen to encounter a submer- you know, submerged log or uh, a beaver dam or whatnot, they're able to be able to access that spot. Uh, I do it every day, you know, during the duck season, you know, hit different things, hit different obstacles underneath the water and, and have no issues. So not at all we're telling people to go out there and, and jump a beaver dam, but yes, it, it'll jump a beaver dam. The boat has, to, has a big role in that. A flat bottom boat, a true flat bottom boat, is is going to be a lot better in all around in the timber marsh. You know the whole nine yards, as far as of what we, you know, travel, uh, you know, here in the United States. And the reason why is because of you know if you have a, a, a an actual rib bottom boat and you get it hung up on, you cross a, a log and it's got a nub on that log. Well, you can only track you you can only track forwards or backwards. You can't actually slide off of that obstacle. That's what a flat bottom boat will allow you to do is actually slide off that obstacle and, and make it to where, okay, well, I can't make it over the top of this log. Let me just slide off of it instead of the back end of the boat, you know, being engulfed with water. So uh, that's the biggest difference as far as in a flat bottom boat. Of course, if you have the right setup on on your actual uh, uh, the actual so- bottoms of the boat to where you have a... Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought right now, but you have a, help me out here. I just, I was just explaining the other day. Um, to Tom. Yeah, the, golly. Yeah, square chime boat and a rounded chime boat. I don't know why it took me so long to think of that. 
but you got a square chine and round chine boat. And of course, down in Louisiana, they use square chine boats a lot. And the reason why they do that is because of speed. You're going to be a little bit faster in a square chine boat versus round the chine boat. But up here in Arkansas, most everybody's using a round the chine boat. And the reason why is because of the turning ability. You can turn a lot better with a round the chine than you can a square chine. So the round the chine comes into effect too with, you know, going through the timber, going over submerged logs, you know, hidden obstacles. Round the chine is going to deflect off of it and let you roll off of that obstacle. Versus a square chine. I'm not saying a square chine won't work here by no means, but we've just found that, you know, the years that we run, I particularly like a square chine better. And most manufacturers around here that are building boats now for surface drives up in Arkansas and different areas, they are running, you know, building a square uh, round of chine boat. So um, that being said, uh, what was your question again? Just on the I just beat, rambled a little bit just, right there. You're not rambling at all. I completely go see where you're going with the you know jumping beaver dams or stumps and why you'd want a true flat bottom boat. Um, but that's not to say that one that's not a true flat bottom isn't going to get the job done. The most important part of that equation to me though is the boat operator because there's a lot of motors that can pull off these stunts or these things that people are doing in the woods. And to really be able to navigate the woods, you have to be experienced, in my opinion. You can't be successful um, just being a putt-putt boat driver. I'm not saying that you can't take your time getting to where you want to go, but to really become a finesse, experienced, established, badass navigator with a boat in the duckwoods and i don't i'm not trying to make it sound like it's like this huge feat i know that we're not doing brain surgery here protecting our country we're driving a boat but there is a difference down here to get around these woods and to do it right yeah you're making split decisions all the time all the time you got to be thinking two or three steps ahead like an athlete you got to have good vision you got to have good peripheral vision you got to have a good stance in the boat you got to be in there tight um some guys sit up like i like to get up on one knee and navigate especially in the morning where i you know it's dark and i don't really see as well with the lights on, on the boat um you got to really practice you got to become one with that boat and know your way around it it's not like getting in a car and driving down to the mailbox and coming back if you're going to become a proficient arkansas duck hunter that uses a boat every day to chase mallard ducks you have to be able to get to the mallard ducks and that's what these boats and these mud motors have done it allows you to get to the quote unquote honey hole and it allows you to go to places where you you yeah you could walk for four miles and listen for ducks stop and listen for ducks and stop and listen for ducks and just keep walking but hey the part about that is that you got to walk back yeah. So I'm not saying I'm scared to walk or a couple miles. Or you've got if your grandfather's, you know, maybe he can't walk. You know, maybe maybe he's he's not as good as walking. He got a cane or whatnot. Well, you're able to get him to an area to be able to experience the same thing you experienced that morning. And kids, and kids and people you know? that don't want to walk that that way, but that far. But these motors, I just I want to keep stressing how awesome it is to become proficient with a duck boat. Same thing during the summer. I love a, I love being able to wakeboard or wake surf behind a boat with a qualified driver and a, a boat operator that I trust. The captain, like my buddy Jason Carrier. I have several buddies that are awesome boat drivers. I can I can do it. I'm nowhere near as good as these guys. But I get in the boat with like a, a Tyler Marsh or a Brad Forsyth or a Rocky Merlot or a Jason Carrier. I'm just saying names that you might not know who they are. But I'm thinking in my head like these guys have been doing it so long. I feel so safe being in the boat with them, my daughter being in the boat with them, my daughter skiing or tubing behind the boat. I don't ever want to be in a boat or accident to where it could have been prevented, you know, being dumb, do, making dumb little choices, whether it's a life vest or hitting a stump or, or running too fast and hurting somebody. I don't like any, I don't even like visualizing that stuff. Nobody does. 
So being a proficient, you know, educated, intelligent, um, experienced boat operator is important. And then you mix on top of it the lifestyle of duck hunting and the culture of duck hunting. I, like I started this conversation on with, what could be better? Walking exactly. in's cool. You get to see the ducks react. They do the same thing whether you got there in a boat or walked in. You get to shoot them. Your, shot, your shotgun does the same thing. Your choke tube, your patterning, your constriction, all does the same thing no matter how you got to the hunt. Your decoys look the same. They swim the same. Your jerk rig acts the same. Your dog swims the same. He retrieves the same. It's about that ride in and that ride out. And it's so freaking cool to me. There's nothing better. When we were coming around that last corner at Prairie Wings and you look up and see the lodge and granted that place is heaven on earth and there's not a lot of places like it, no matter right. where you're at. And you smell the the, the smoke the and, and the fireplace <laughs> and the bacon and the breakfast and you see the dog kennel and you see the other boats there and you see the big windows looking out over the flooded woods. That boat right in is you're just like, it, I'm, I'm literally getting goosebumps thinking about it. I'm serious. Like I'm all like worked up about it because like you can't ever replace that. There's no drug. There's no extreme sport of jumping out of an airplane or freaking doing, doing crazy ass shit to put your body. And I'm not saying that those guys are, aren't, you know, they're awesome. They do it. I love extreme sports. I got a ton of mad respect for them. But to me, maybe the birth of your child, maybe can replace that feeling. <laughs> I'm not saying your kids can't. I'm saying your kids are the most important thing in the world. Trust me. I get that. But that feeling to me, you're just like, oh my gosh, I never want this to end. Well, that's what drove me to to move up here. Exactly what you're saying. The commute is what got me. I've told people that, you know, half the fun is getting there. You know, there's nothing better than running through the timber, especially on a bluebird day with a pile of mallards in the front of the boat. And coming back, and it's not about showing off, showing everybody. It's just that feeling you get to be able to say, hey, man, I just accomplished that. I just fooled all those birds to making and committing into my decoy spread. You know, I've told people a lot is that, you know, I might leave my shotgun at home in the morning accidentally, but I'm not leaving my calls. And that goes in the hand. I'm not going to leave my boat. There's no way I'm going to leave my boat because I ain't going anywhere. I'm not even leaving the boat ramp. So, you know, to get up and go, you know, I hunt a lot of public land, you know, fortunate to hunt, you know, some private, but a lot of public. And when it's just a feeling when you get to the boat ramp and you're backing your boat down and you're put in the water and everybody's waiting on go time and, and ready to hit it and, you know, get to the hole and, and throw the decoys out and set up and, and waiting on that chatter. And you hear a couple mallards coming over. Kah, 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 kah. There's just nothing like it. Move the boat around in a hole. And, and that's what's so cool about the service drives is, is you used to back in the day, you get to your spot. And of course, dabbling ducks, you know, puddle ducks want to be in six inches or less of water. Used to, you'd have to take your boat and either leave it at a spot and you drag your decoys in. Well, now you just take a service drive and put, 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 put right on in. Unload all your decoys, throw your decoys out, your mojos, whatever you're going to use. Of course, we can't use mojos anymore on public land over here, but at least you throw out your decoys, put out your jerk string, put your bags on trees, and and then take your boat and go hide your boat behind you. But to be able to do that now, I mean, it's probably made me gain a little more weight by doing that. But, God, it's made it so much easier. And just more memorable because you're not you're not worried about, well, what do we got to move? What if we're late? What if we can't get into our spot 
it's one of those things to where, yes, you could walk into a lot of timber holes and there's a lot of places that you can do it, but to be able to access it with a, with a boss, you know, the new 40 XP and that, that surface drive in that boat, it just adds to the lifestyle, man. It just, it brings that culture shock to me again. And every time I come to Arkansas, it's like what Eric said in the woods, they just take your breath away. This whole culture does. It's not just the mallard ducks. It's, it's that whole mindset of the experience of what I'm doing at that time to where I get like to the point to where I don't know if I'll, I I would ever want to do anything else. Like when I'm in that boat and I'm in those woods and I'm with my buddies and my dog, my family, my friends, and I see the green heads up on the front of the boat and I see the wet dog and I know I got that vision in my head about what just happened and the sounds I just heard. And I don't know a better way to say it of the respect or the admiration I have for the, the lifestyle of duck hunting and the respect and admiration I have for the wild ducks and the mallard ducks. It's when they put on a show like they do and it all comes together, that's only just one little part of it. And what gets me off is all of those other little parts combined with that. And let's not be, let's not be, fake about it let's not sit here and say man i could go every day and not kill him or not shoot my gun once and still feel the same you get wore out you get frustrated as shit you get mad at him no, you get no you get pissed and not like to the point to where you're angry and losing your temper and throwing shit around and, and all that i'm not saying you're going to act like an, a fool act a fool <laughs> but you get you could get down and tired quick if you're killing them you don't get tired now do you need a nap hell yeah am i good at taking naps hell no but when i get to lay down and take a nap and i'm visualizing what i just saw i just slowly just wake up an hour later and i just had a power nap because i was at ease i was so relaxed because of the duck hunting culture in arkansas and it spreads out everywhere you go anywhere in this country and you're going to find duck hunting culture but you're not going to go anywhere in this country and find the culture like it is here you ain't going to go into cafe after cafe after a duck hunt in boise idaho where duck hunting is very good along the snake river and find the culture that you see here i'm not saying that you're not going to find some of it i'm not saying that duck hunters aren't out there aren't just badass as they are here I'm just simply saying the culture here and the smell in the air, like when we smelled that dirty rice yesterday, you always yeah. hear people talk about dirty rice. There's a reason they call that because that when it's right, it stinks. And you made a comment like, man, them snows and specks, they must come off a of scent a little bit and find these places. They might. Cause you just smells like ducks. It just smells like an area where I want to be come those, those 60 days. And that, you know, those 60 days are special to a lot of people down here. I think boats, and boat motors and the boss brand and the surface drives make it that much more special. Again, you don't need them to be successful. I'm not saying that, but man, does it add to your heritage? Does it add to your legacy? Does it add to your culture and your memories that you're painting the picture you're painting and the memories you're making in these woods? Not only that, but they're dependable. The biggest thing with, you know, everybody has a lawnmower. Everybody. How long does that lawnmower last? How many times did you cut that grass with that lawnmower? And that's exactly what we're using. We're using bricks and stratton basically it comes down to lawnmower engines they're dependable it does come well that's a good way to put it you don't want to go out and mow your grass when it's 90 degrees and have to sit out there pulling on that and not get a star then have to call your neighbor and you're embarrassed to go borrow his got to take yours to the shop well the shop's backed up for six same thing with boats man you want it to start 
you want it to energize the freaking the the boat motor and the boat puts the energy into the hunt from the get-go in the morning if your boat don't start you're just you're like what everybody. are you doing <laughs> what the heck what'd you bring me here for that's right you saw it this week when i don't remember who it was he's trying to start that outboard on one boat and wouldn't start and it ruined their whole morning i'm telling you because they start stressing we're gonna miss it we're gonna miss it we're gonna miss it because, you know, I, I honestly don't like shooting ducks in the dark in the timber. I don't. I'm, I'm one of those guys that when you see these boats take off from those boat ramps in the morning and they go out there and it's shooting hours at 635 or 640 or whatever it is right now, 642, and you can't even barely see your hand in front of your face, you sure as hell can't tell, tell a mallard drake from a mallard hen unless a single comes in and you hear the grunt rizzles, you know, you hear that or if you can tell a, a hen when she quacks. I mean, your, your chances of shooting hens are more prevalent and it ain't pretty. I don't care what you say. Now, seeing their silhouette, you know, descend through the trees and then land around you. I love all that, but I don't want to shoot them in the dark. And you get hear these guys like, we got to be the first of the hole because we want to be out of there by seven. We're going to shoot our ducks real quick. Well, God damn. What did you just experience to me? I'm asking like, is it a numbers game then? Are you that mad at them that you got to go into these holes and just pile them up real quick and get out there? Like you said, wait, you know, like what Freddie used to say, wait a little bit and let the other guys have their hunt. Most guys don't do that. Come on. Right. We're not going to sit here and sugarcoat that or pussyfoot around it. I'm saying that most guys want to get in there, kill them in the dark, get in their boat and get out. Dude, you would never seen what we saw the other day if we weren't hunting at 930. Right. Thank God those ducks didn't start using those woods until 845, 9, 930. Do you agree or do you, no, or do you rather I, go in there and just mop them up in the dark and get back to the bacon? No, I, I'd, I'd rather. I'd yeah, rather you go out. I, that, I, no. That's what you did every day is you got back. <laughs> the, the name of your book when you write well, it like is bacon. Getting Back to the I, Bacon. I like to eat. Getting know? Back to the Bacon. That's right. Seven Degrees of Bacon with Chris Cifrio. Well, you can't beat that breakfast they were having down there. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Dude, dude I've, I, people are so tired of me bragging on Mr. Billy. Like, I would marry that dude in a heartbeat if I, you know, if I was into that. And I'm not. But I'm saying, like, he is a catch. And his wife is a lucky woman. His kids and his ne- like Brandon, his nephew met. Like, is that breakfast and those dinners not amazing? Well, how many how many times you go to a place and they ask you individually, how do you want your eggs? Waffle House. You yeah. got to be in a Denny's. Yeah, well, you got to be gotta, in a restaurant. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You got to be in a restaurant, but not you know. Yeah, at usually a lodge. if you go to a lodge, there's some that do it, but there's just something about Mr. Billy saying Mr. Ch-. He calls me Mr. Chad. He's 25, 30 years old. I mean, Mr. Chad, you, you want to over meet him today again? Yep. He remembers that. He remembers everybody in there. He remembers. I mean, it's like, I don't want to get off course. I can't sit here and have another conversation about Mr. Billy because, again, it's going to make me get in my truck and drive to Prairie Wings, meaning that I'm going to out, you know, stay my welcome, meaning that I'm going to piss off Brandon. <laughs> and then I don't want to do that because I want to be welcome. I want Joel to have a smile on his face That's when I leave and not a smile of like, thank freaking God. He's, he's out. going. He told freaking Brandon that my trailer, just seeing my trailer gave caused him anxiety. An, gave him anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> that shows you that he told me outside that too. He did. <laughs> We're hooking, unhooking it. He's like, man, this trailer right here, it gives me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> he says that, but then like he come to Canada for five days in October and we laughed and that trailer was there every day. There was not one bit of anxiety. There is a lot more. It's I tell everybody all the time. We want to come hunt with you. We want to come be on the foul life. We want to film. I'm like, no, you don't. I know people no, don't understand what goes into you it. You saw it this weekend. Like, have you oh, seen yeah. like that yeah. was a lot of work. That we was- got done shooting at 930. We were done with our limit, like 937 with a five man, 20 bird limit of mallards, 18 greenheads and two hens. And we left the woods at what time? 
Do you remember? Or was it 10.30, 10.45? We got done at 10. We did an hour and a half of work. We were out. We were in the boat ditch and back at the place. And when Brandon goes, it's 11.30. And All you know, right, we're supposed to be out of the woods at 10. But he gave yeah. me the extension of saying, he said hey. He said he'd you, give you one day. One day if you get him. Because there's a lot of work to be done after. Right. And you're like, again? You want me to run my dog again? We got to do drone now? We got to do that? And it's freaking tedious as shit it's a lot of work all duck hunting is a lot of work there's a lot that goes into being successful duck hunter there's no doubt about it but i don't want to get into mr billy so quit talking about bacon <laughs> quit talking about it but when you come around that last corner at that thing and you see that place and you're just like you look up on the front of the boat and there's birds and your dog and your friends and you're it's like how can life get any better nobody can answer me that now again Go out and shoot 18 holes and you're four under par or, you know, your 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 hand whatever your handicap is and your buddies and you're drinking a couple beers at the clubhouse after and clapping and and are high fiving and that's great. It's fun, but it's golf. It's golf. It's like it's golf. It's like you can do it, you can do it any day of the week. You can do it any time of the year. You don't have to wait for certain parts of the year. It's 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 just golf to me. It's not I like it, it's fun. But it just doesn't give me that culture shock, man. It's like people think of culture shock as something totally different than I do. I'm in shock when I get to experience the things I do in the duck hunting culture. And that's a cool way to think about it, in my opinion, because I don't ever think I would have an attitude of like been there, done that. You know how many times I've seen ducks fall through trees and land at my feet? Hundreds hundreds and that's nothing compared to what somebody like you or john stevens or jim ronquest or all of these guys that have hunted i can go on and on about rick all Dunn the, the rick Dunn. these Freddy. guys have seen it way more than me freddie king he's seen it i don't even know god imagine I, how much he's he shot more it. ducks on the camera yeah and I, I guarantee if you went to his house right now and we're close to his house we should go down there and go you tired of it He'd be like, I looked at joel the other day i go you're you're wore out he goes man i'm tired i go you tired of hunting ducks he goes hell no yeah, he told me the he's same thing. He's a 45-year-old man. He's like, hell no. He's still I asked him that the other day. I said, would you rather go shoot a world-class buck or go kill limited mallards? He said, I'll take them limited mallards every day. Yes. And I think, I think too, the biggest thing with me is it's just like on the way home yesterday. The whole way home, I was calling whoever I knew, saying, hey, man, you should have saw these birds. You should have saw how they've done it, how they come in the timber. It's the storytelling. It's the, the laying down at night and envisioning what I envisioned the other day, me and Clay were sitting by that tree. We turned around and left. Here's these birds breaking in the hole. It was actually a drake and a mallard hen. And this mallard hen caught a limb, threw his neck back. I broke his neck and he... Her. he no, oh, I'm it talking a drake. about... It was I thought you said a mallard hen yeah, caught I a may, limb. I may have said a mallard hen, but it was a drake. Caught his head. He threw his head back and he stayed right on course. It never even, never even you know, stunned him or anything. It's just amazing, and, and Clay said that. That's the first time I think Clay's hunted in the timber, right? And and Clay said, he says, golly, he said, there's. it's amazing how these birds can maneuver through these woods. And it really is. I've told you while we're sitting out there, you know, because I'm always sitting there trying to grab it, and, you know, we don't never know when tomorrow's our last day. And, you know, I take everything, you know, with a grain of salt and say, hey, man, I'm going to try to – you know, uh, enjoy every aspect of life now, especially as I'm getting older. And, and I was just sitting there, you know, watching all these birds fall in the hole. And I'm like, golly, man, these mallards don't even fit. They don't even fit in the timber. 
they're just you know you got all this rustic and all these big old holes in the side of the tree and everything else and then you got this big old fat green head you know with the the prettiest colors on its on its on its body and it just doesn't fit but it's amazing that they they do come in there and i'm glad that i'm glad they do yeah and i think that i just think that that's the whole thing of you can talk about have a conversation on what's the best boat and what's the best mud motor and we have our opinions. I mean, that's why marketing and branding and, and quality and customer service and all that comes in when you're building a brand and we're in that with Bandit and we have a lot of competition with Bandit and now we do with Jargon and there's, you could always make the argument of my duck calls better than yours. My boat's better than yours. I'm a better boat driver than you. I shot 91 out of a hundred at the clay course. I'm a better shooter than you. My dog is way better than you because he's retrieved so many more ducks than your dog this year. And I just look at you like, just save the drama. I don't want to hear it. I suck at all of that. If you really want me to admit it, I'm an average duck caller. I'm an average duck hunter, but I am in a way above average fun haver when it comes to duck season. I get off on the smallest things. Now, do I get down sometimes? Well, hell yeah, we've already talked about that. But average at best, man, I'm subpar. Maybe I'm a little below average when you compare me to some of the big dogs that have come through this state, but I don't give a shit. I don't care. Yeah. I'm not in it to win it. I'm not looking for a trophy. I, I've hunted with the world champion duck callers. I've hunted with world champion goose callers. And you know what? They're all just the same dude to me. I've hunted with celebrities and and veterans and race car drivers and baseball players and actors. And I've they're all the same person, man. They're just people. And it's humbling to them when they get in the woods or in that boat. Mother Nature breaks them down. It brings them to their knees. It makes them beg for more. That's what it's supposed to do to you. Not like oh man, I'm the best at this. The ego part of the bullshit, the ego stuff needs to go, in my opinion. I'm, I'm not saying that you can't be confident. I'm not saying that you can't, you know, put get your shoulders a little puffy once in a while when you're like, yeah, man, yeah. them ducks did exactly what we want. Who cares? Just yeah. enjoy it, love it. But what I'm saying is that you can get, work hard in life, acquire some revenue, get a livelihood, take care of your family, be smart with your finances and be able to afford a duck club membership or a duck boat with a, with a boss tribes motor. It ain't cheap, man. That new package from edge and boss is $26,000 for the boat, the motor, the Traeger tra- or the trailer. And I almost said Traeger. That's where my mind's at. I'm starving, dude. But <laughs> the trailer, the boat, the motor, the camo kit, 26 grand. Mm-hmm. It's worth every penny of it because it of this. You can go buy that anywhere. There's ones that are less expensive than that. There's ones that are more. But it's how you treat the culture. It's how that fits into the culture. If it's your boat, you're going to be like, man, this is my season. This is my this is my woods. This is my, you know, you're not being selfish. This is my story. This is my legacy. This is when I wake up tomorrow and remember this. I want to make sure that I do everything in my power that we're talking about this for years. And you saw how we were at Prairie Wings. We're talking about things that happened four years ago all the time remember when that boat fell off remember when that motor fell off in the boat ditch that you know that we, we were talking about how that happened you remember that one bunch that come in when all the tree all the leaves were on the tree when you came early chad and i'm like yeah man i remember that we filmed that commercial for bandit when everybody was wearing them when we had the red bee on the waiter still and we're dragging our duck straps with the ducks in the water behind us and we look like you know we just spent the day in the woods together and it was you, dude I'll, i can paint you pictures all day of what's happened in the confines of prairie wings and then you talk about the 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 mindset of the people that own that and what they're doing for duck hunting and what they're doing for friendships and camaraderie and the comment that Brandon made, he goes, I could go buy a duck club membership where I get to bring one guest a year. I mean, one guest a day for every day of the year you hunt. We get to hunt Wednesday, Saturday, Sundays, and I get to bring one guest. He goes, 
I don't, I don't want, want to do that. that. I don't want to schedule them out. He goes, I want you all here. He goes, look at my parking lot. It's full. And We're going to get our ducks. He said, there was probably too many people in the lodge this weekend, but I didn't care. We all had a good time. We did. He told me to get on the phone today. He goes, buddy, I, I, he goes, bro, I had a great time. I go, man, you talk about, think about that. They spend, I don't know how much money to buy that place. They spend, I don't know how much money to maintain that place and do the maintenance and the clear cutting and the brush hogging, the food, the bedding, the staff, the cook, the cleaners, the, the fuel, the equipment. It's a lot of money. And what do they do? They put us in the best hole. Hey, y'all go over there and kill the ducks. We're going to go sit over here and, I know. And, and be tree huggers for a little bit. We're going to see some ducks. We're going to kill a couple. We go in there and maul them, come out, and they go high-fiving. Yeah. yeah, I'm so happy it worked out. No jealousy. No jealousy, no envy. And how that teaches you enough right there of what a duck hunt, what duck hunting means. I made a post yesterday. And I got people texting me going, man, that was well said, whatever. I ain't looking for that. I'm just saying that when I was leaving Prairie Wings, I just put, there isn't a better life than the one of a duck hunter leads. Whether it's compassion or humility or integrity or dedication or tenacity, this lifestyle will teach you all of it. We live it every minute of every day and will never stop. Learn to communicate and let's all elevate this lifestyle and work together to ensure that it's around forever. And that's how I felt when I was leaving Prairie Wings because I was like, I can't imagine not, not talking to Brandon and Brian and Joel or Rossi on the phone and knowing that I never get to see them at Prairie Wings again, that I got to go somewhere else with them, which will be fine because I love them all like brothers. But knowing that I get to share that experience at least two or three days a season, sometimes more, sometimes less. I never want it to be sometimes never. So that's what I was saying. It's like, man, this, this boat ride and whatever one you choose and this boat motor and whatever one you choose. And I mean, we, we, we're going to, we're going to showcase edge boats and Bosch drives and how they fit into this lifestyle and what they do to ensure that tomorrow we get there safe and we get to where the ducks are because of all that other stuff I just talked about, especially the bacon. So I know that's what you're thinking, so I said it. If you think about it, we're, we are the luckiest people on earth to be duck hunters. 100%. There's no luckier people in the world. I don't care if you win 50 million Lucky in the lottery. Lucky to be brought up in into it, duck hunting. Have a chance. I was brought up in the outdoors, not as a duck hunter. I was brought up as a deer hunter and a duck hunter. I mean, a, a upland game hunter, chucker hunter in Nevada. We didn't have duck hunting in Nevada. We do, but it wasn't prevalent. We don't. We, we have one duck club there, you know, but we weren't brought up that way. And when I got introduced to it, I was like the sickest it's ruined my life in a good way. That's all I think about, man. That's why I have that saying is like, we merely exist in a duck's world because that duck foot is around my globe and he turns it whatever freaking way he wants all year round. Oh, um, I'm going to put a thought in Chad's head that he better feed, practice his feed chatter. I go get my call in August. It's a hundred degrees outside. I go in the air and I'm practicing. And then I go, man, I better get the boat ready. Better get my dog to the trainer. Better figure out what size vest my or, dog. Or, or how about you get in the hole the day before, going scout, and you find the birds. Next morning you come in there and you look at blue skies, and they just change it up. Yeah, it's and it's like it's, you can't figure them out. You can't figure them out, and it's like they've ruined they've ruined my life in a good way to where I'm sick about duck hunting. I'm obsessed with duck hunting. I want everybody to experience it. I loved what we experience now. I mean. We, this weekend, Brandon come up with this idea about hunting with some Fayetteville, you know, University of Arkansas Razorback kids. Yeah. They're, they're 20 years younger than me. And I've got along with them like we were best friends. 
And then I hunted with high school kids one day, and they shot the lights out. And they were sophomores, and one was a junior in high school, three of them, two sophomores and a junior in Little Rock at PA, the academy. And they were giddy. I was like, that's why I hunt. Look at these kids. That's what I am. I'm 44 years old, and I'm just as giddy as them. Can't shoot as good as them. Holy smokes. That's, you know why? Them. Because they have freaking trap and clay, sporting clay teams here. Yeah. They have shotgunning teams in yep. Arkansas and around the Midwest and this part. We don't and have duck that. Call right and duck calling, you know, duck calling contests all around here. All around. It's a lifestyle. And it's it just, the, it's the baddest ass. So we can talk about this stuff forever. I love it. I feel good right now. I want to go scout right now. I want to go down to the corner. I want to sit with Marty and have a cold drink with him and reminisce about what he's going through and what he experienced today and tell him what we did today and blow some calls with him and Tyler again and Mike and DJ and those guys. They're at the corner. We just come from two hours south of here at Prairie Wings. We went over to Stuttgart. We were over in Bald Knob. We were we were down in England. We were just in the, everywhere I went. I was like, man, there's duck hunting everywhere. This is the duck hunting culture. It doesn't matter what boat you pick. We pick edge. It doesn't matter what motor you pick. We work with boss and we use them and they are badass. But it's all what you want to put into that story, your story. What pieces of that puzzle do you want to put together and get them to fit? And at the end of the day, I'm not going to sit here and try to hard sell you and say, if you don't buy an edge, you're going to be, you're not going to be successful. I'd be a dumbass to say that. That's not what marketing and what we do is look at what we do in the, in the admiration, the compassion, the respect that we have for this lifestyle, the birds, the camps, the individuals that allow us into their lives for a few days a year. That's how edge and boss fit into it. That's what makes me happy is I see my edge and I see my boss out there at Prairie Wings and I'm just, nothing could be better. There's nothing you could do to make it any better for me. Nothing except give me more bacon. Like you say, it's all about bacon again. And at the end of the day, you might have not killed a damn thing, but you came in and you look good. (laughs) (laughs) and feel good. So anyway, man, that's, that's where I'm at with it. I think that, I think that there's not a better combo out there than an edge and a boss and the new 40 XP and the, the free floating hand. I love your explanations on it. And I, I, I I don't challenge people, but I tell people, go check them out, get in one and ride with them. When Eric was in that boat yesterday with me, he's like, Dude, I'm getting one. Oh my God, is this smooth? And that new that new six five six TST that Tom's building at Edge, that's a smooth riding rig right there. That is a badass rig, and you saw it. You were in the other one yesterday with the same motor. We had two forties out, and they rip. It was just it's awesome. We had ducks on the front of them, smiles, dogs in there. That's the question I want to ask you before we get done. Where's the best place to ride a dog in a duck boat when there's a chance you hit a stump and you? Is there a right way to do it? You see a lot of guys say put them on the nose of it. The nose is definitely not the correct place to put a duck dog, in my opinion. I've had duck dogs in the front, you know, that I'd let, let them run rampant in, in the boat. And basically what would happen is, is, you know, I had one time where I hit a log. They flew forward, fell out of the boat, and literally the dog went underneath the boat. I killed the motor instantaneously, and luckily that dog was unharmed. But that is the absolute worst place to put a duck dog. Do not put your duck dog in the front of the boat. Try to preseason, get in the get in the boat. I mean, you have to do it with puppies. You know, I train a little bit, not nearly as much as you know my next door neighbor Freddie King. I mean, he's just he's you know like no other, one of the best in the business. But you know, I kind of picked up off of him. You know, he's he's a little bit older than me, and I've watched his videos back in the day, and I can tell you. You know, he's he's gave me a lot of pointers, and one pointer was is to take your duck dog as a puppy start your engine if you can of course we run surface drive so we can do that out of the water but take your duck dog your puppy put them in the boat start your engine a couple times get that dog used to that noise 
Because the last thing you want is a dog to get up in a boat. You start the engine, it ain't never been in a boat before. You turn around and that dog's going crazy, knocking over stuff, knocking over guns, and nobody, I don't care what anybody says, nobody likes a dog that's gonna sit there and whine, that's gonna sit there and run rampant in a boat, that's gonna knock over stuff, grab your food, be Amen. slobbering all Amen. over everything. Nobody likes that. So the best place in the boat that I would say, and you know, people are gonna have to give up their seat, of course, in my boat, but on the left-hand side of the boat, is where they're going to sit. I'm going to teach that dog to sit and lie. Whenever I'm in in running mode, that dog is going to try to lie. Is going to lie down. That way, if I do hit something in the timber, I actually had a boat wreck two years ago, and uh, you know it wasn't it wasn't during before daylight or anything. We were just running around looking for ducks. Come around a corner, my brother was with me. Hit a log. Was in about four or five inches of water with the boss drive. It can run in that shallow water. Hit that log. Whenever I hit the log, I had no control. And the reason why I had no control is because in five or six inches of water on a hard ground, once your tiller handle kicks sideways, it's done. It is absolutely done. That's why, you know, you need to be safe in that, in that shallow water. And what happened is, is the boat kicked sideways. I started hopping, hit a tree on the nose. And not one time did the dog fly out, my brother fly out, or I fly out. We're unharmed. So, you know, I know there's a lot of people that have prized dogs out there, and I know I have one right now hunting prairie wings this weekend. Actually, you know, she jumped up on a stand and, and I guess, you know, kind of, you know, hurt her foot a little bit, sprained her ankle or whatnot. She's okay. She's going to be doing fine in a couple of days. But that being said, you know, I don't know what I would do with my, 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 uh, my Lexi, my, my baby girl, my black lab. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's trying to make sure that everybody's safe and getting from point A to point B unharmed and, and just have a good hunt, you know? So that's the best place, Chad, in a boat, in my opinion, is You're to, saying to the direct left of the boat operator, right? On the back of the boat, right? Like if you flung the tiller handle, it would hit, hit her if she wasn't laying down? If she wasn't laying down, exactly. That's, that's a good point. So, and that's how, that's how I was kind of taught and, and, and my, you know, I guess mentored by Freddie of, Hey, put the dog on the left side. That's the safest spot. You can see him. You can, you know, if you, if you have an emergency, you can grab your dog. You know, I've seen guys in the marsh. I've heard of accidents where people take and chain their dog up in the boat, chain their dog up. That's not good. What if that boat capsizes? Yeah. It's done deal. You don't have time. You can't react that I don't even want to think about it, you know, as far as on, on, you know, what would or would not happen. So that being said, you know, make sure your dog's safe. You know, that's your that's your companion to well, your little hunting buddy. Cause I, speaking of that, you have – I just got this coming in from Tom. He writes, letting go – or wait, I want to make sure that I get his caption right. Tom always gives – gets creative writing on me because we try to have contests sometimes in the office he writes sometimes letting go is the hardest part sometimes letting go is the hardest part like you with bacon look at this look at that picture is that not insane that's little lexi with the green-headed mallard duck drake with Chris's arm reaching out and pulling it out of her mouth. Sometimes the hardest part is letting go, and she don't want to let and go. she's looking that away like, no, no come on, let me have this one. <laughs> isn't that nice? <laughs> you can't beat it. It's sick. Hey, that's a wall hanger. But see the emotions you get just looking at? Because now you're like, 
man, I wish we were Prairie Wings right now. There's just no place like on earth like there is at Duck Camp, USA. Guys, that was Chris Cifrio. Bosch Drives, Louisiana. We talked a lot of smack today, and hopefully it was good smack. I'm Chad Belding. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. I got a lot of emotions running through my body because I'm in Arkansas, the Grand Prairie, the house of the ducks, the duck capital of the world. There's more mallard ducks here than there are anything else, I believe, in the world. There's just so many of them here. I love it here. I love the culture. I love duck hunting. I hope you guys are enjoying the season as much as we are. Not every day has been the best, but they've all been awesome for their own reasons. Go check out Bosch Drives. What's the website, Chris? www.bossdrives.com. But it is. I don't know why I even try to say the W's anymore. Everybody assumes it's www.bossdrives.com, edgeduckboats.com. Follow both of their pages on instagram they're both uh, at edge duck boats and at boss drives if you want more information you could send us a dm at the foul life tv we run them we love them we believe in them we support them we appreciate the partnerships we appreciate this lifestyle remember we're not entitled to do this we're not entitled to be duck hunters we're not entitled to get to go duck hunt we're blessed to be able to do so let's do our part and introduce some new people kids women girls doesn't matter who it is get a new person out in the woods every year at least one a season try to do that try to live by that and uh we had a blast doing so this last couple days here getting a couple new people introduced to this great lifestyle and this great legacy that we uh, are trying to build so without further ado i'm gonna skip all the stuff about foul life and merchandise and all that and just let my main man tom rashishine play that song by my good buddy one of my best friends in the world Leith Lofton, a.k.a. Haas. Tom, go ahead and hit that button on what you're going to do when the money's all gone. Thank y'all. Say life on earth won't last that long. What you going to do when the money's all gone?